Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> we're going to talk about spiritual growth. And uh, we're going to look at some characteristics of infancy. Um, let me say, while you're turning there, uh, this morning in our... Oh my goodness, I did not bring my glasses. I need you to go get them. It's going to be... No, I, I can make it... As, I think I can make it as, as, at least right here for a minute, but... The keys are in my mailbox, Jenna. First Corinthians 3. Um, they're in my backpack, okay? The ones in my backpack. Don't bring the ones on the table. That would be bad. <clears throat> if you get wonky, just bring them both. But I think you can find them. Man, I, uh, it was kind of crazy around my house today. My wife's back is actually hurt. So if you pray for her, uh, it just goes out randomly for no reason So uh, at times. So just pray for her. It went out this morning, and it was her upper back rather than her lower back. And so... Um, just be in prayer for her. She's just not doing well today. But uh, anyway, um, what we're we talking about? Oh, uh, spiritual growth. We're going to talk about spiritual growth for the next several weeks. In, sun, in uh, our sermon series, we're going to do a prophecy series just talking about the time uh, that we're in. And uh, we're going to start with what time is it today and look at uh, some things out of the book of Acts that the disciples asked Jesus. <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm encouraged about it. I hope more people will come. And if, if they're not able to be here, I hope they'll at least listen to it so they can stay up with the church family. But I do want to remind you of, of a couple of things. Also, today is Morgan Gridley's last Sunday with us. She's going to be going off to college tomorrow. And uh, so pray for that journey. Pray for her uh, first day of the rest of her life as she launches into that uh, portion of her existence. And then pray also for their family. This is the first one that they've had uh, leave the house. And so uh, just pray for them. Pray that God's give them God. Uh, God would give them grace and wisdom, and uh, that they would just be okay with it. Change is a good thing, Mom. And uh, so I just want to remind you of that. And uh, so we'll look forward to what God is going to do there. First Corinthians chapter three. <clears throat> I'm going to do my best to see if I can read this at a distance while my daughter goes and gets my glasses. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter three. <clears throat> And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? And walk as men. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Notice the phrase at the end of verse 1 babes in Christ. I want to speak to you for the next few minutes on indications of infancy. All right, and let's have a word of prayer this morning. <laughs> Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, today, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and only because of his precious shed blood for our sin. We want to thank you, first and foremost, today for another day of life and for grace and mercy that we're new this morning. And Lord, as we come before you, we recognize today that you are the only God. You are the one true God, that you are the God of all creation. And God, you are marvelous and beautiful and holy. And God, we want to thank you for being so loving to us. Thank you for your love and for your care for our life. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us the word of God and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. God, thank you for your presence eternally, always. 
Thank you that you keep your promises each and every day, that you never leave us, that you never forsake us. And God, we believe and praise you as the God of all possibilities, because you have all power. Lord, you know all things and you're ever present and you are unchangeable. And so we praise you for your excellent greatness and for all of your mighty acts. And today, God, we ask that you would please minister to us through your word. I pray that you'd minister to every need in this room. God, I thank you for restoring many of us back to our health. Though it may not be full all the way yet, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today and the strength to be here. We pray for those who still may be sick. We pray for those who will not be able to be here today for a variety of reasons. We ask that you would work in their heart and Lord, that you will bring them back and God, that you would continue to help us to get back into the rhythm of the Christian life and that we would see that Christianity is not something we do on one day. It's something that we are always. And God, we need the preaching of the word of God. I pray that today that you'd use it. Give us understanding and wisdom. Pray that you bless our time in your word. I pray that you bless these series and that you bless the new songs today in the church service. And God, I just pray that you continually be praised and magnified in our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Christian life begins when? When does the Christian life begin? When you get saved, right? Not when you get born uh, for the first time. That just means that you're a human being. You're not a child of God until you're born again. The Bible says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The Bible specifically talks about being born of God. You'll also remember that there was a man that came to Jesus at night and he asked him some questions about who Jesus was. And Jesus said unto that man, marvel not that I say unto you that ye must be born again. Who was that man? It was Nicodemus, right? <clears throat> the Bible says that he came to him by night for fear of the other Pharisees, uh, that they that they would discover that he was a secret follower of Christ. Now, the, the phrase being born again, I want you to get this in your mind as we start the series. This is what separates the gospel from religion, Okay. It's it's totally different. People have asked me over the last 20 years plus, you know, what's the difference between Catholicism and Christianity? What's the difference really between all the religions in the world and Christianity? What is the big deal? And the big deal is there's only two religions, to be honest, in all of the world. Those that think that you have to do something in order to be saved and those that believe that you can't do anything in order to be saved because it's all done. So there are those who have to work for righteousness and those that understand that we cannot work for righteousness because it's not by works of righteousness which we are saved, but according to his mercy as he saved us. So the phrase born again is something that we need to understand is what separates us from all the other religions. Religion is man's effort to reach up to God, right? <clears throat> so whether it's by sacrament or whether it's by doing some kind of good work or doing some kind of alm or caring for certain people. It's all a work of righteousness. I'm trying to earn my way, my effort to reach up to God. But salvation is God coming down to man. And in doing so, when man receives the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, making him a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But now think about this for a moment. <clears throat> if God specifically talks about being born again, and even in John chapter 3, he likens it to being born. A uh, man has to be born of the flesh, but in order to be saved, you have to be born of, of the spirit and the water. 
And so when you look at this, when you look at it just from a practical standpoint, you understand after birth comes growth. That's normal. Um, the Osunas just had uh, puppies. I think they have eight puppies now, right? Those puppies are not the same as they were a week ago. Why? Because they're already grown. In another week, in another month, you're going to go, wow, look at that. A month has gone by and they're not the same. Why? Because they're growing. Now, that's a dog. But anything that's been born and given life, after that life begins, there's growth. And that's the same thing we're talking about when we talk about spiritual growth. What are we talking about when we say spiritual growth? Well, let's first talk about what we're not talking about. When we talk about spiritual growth, we're not talking about becoming more saved than we were at conversion. Okay? We're not talking about, okay... I need to be more and more saved and more and more saved. So I need to do some more things and I need to become more saved. No, when you got saved, you were never more saved than you ever were and ever will be at that moment. You understand that? So when we trust Christ as our savior, that's it. We are saved and fully saved. It's not like, well, I'm half saved. Uh, If someone says, well, I'm probably like halfway there. So which half of you is going to heaven, right? Is it going to be my upper half, my lower half is going to be split down the middle. What half is going, what half is good, right? Or or is half, obviously it's not good enough, right? So we're not talking about being more saved. We're not talking about being any more forgiven, all right? So when Jesus died on the cross, he died for what? All of our sins, all right? So then if he died for all of our sins, then all of our sins in the eyes of God, our life is justified. We're completely forgiven. In the eyes of God, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus who had no sin. He became sin for us that we who were born in sin should live into righteousness. We then are able to stand before God just as if we have never sinned a day in our life. All right. All of our sin, past, present and future is all under the blood of Jesus Christ. By the way, hallelujah for that. All right. So we're not talking about, oh, you're awesome. We're not talking about, um, we're not talking about being any more forgiven. We're not talking about being any more saved. Wow. There are letters on that. Okay. We're not talking about being any more justified than we were first saved. And finally, we're not talking about reaching some kind of sinless perfection. All right. So we're not talking about stages of growth to where we get to the place where we go, I have arrived. We're not talking about that. All right. So that's not spiritual growth. That is actually all fable. So what is it? Well, I love what J.C. Ryle said. He said, and I quote, when I speak of growth in grace, I mean increase in the degree in the size, in the strength, in the vigor, and the power of the graces which the Holy Spirit plants in a believer's heart. Now, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that when we get saved, we have been given all spiritual blessings in high places through Jesus Christ. So that means that God has given us all the grace that we need today. We have been given all the mercy that we need today. We've been given all the power of God and the Holy Spirit of God that we need today. He's given all of that to us. But as we grow, all of those graces grow in size and in strength. They grow in power and in vigor as God continues to work in us and as we continue to yield to him. We've been talking about that somewhat in our midweek service from our midweek study. We know that spiritual growth takes place through the means of God's word. First Peter chapter two and verse two is newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Now, specifically, we know that that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
So we know that through the means of the word of God, we grow in our faith. But however, let me say this. What we are taught from the Bible does not equal spiritual growth. Now that may be a curveball for some of you, so I'm going to let you let it soak in for a little bit. What we are taught from the Bible does not equal spiritual growth. I don't care how many stories you think you know or how many Bible verses you think you can quote. That does not equal spiritual growth. Is everybody okay? Because we could all sit here and go from Noah all the way to John the Revelator. And we could answer Bible questions. But that doesn't mean I have a control of my spirit of anger. Doesn't mean that I can have things happen to me and not be bitter. Right? We all understand. We're all on the same page. So I can have all kinds of things taught to me, but that doesn't necessarily... I could sit in a church, in a good Bible-believing church, for a hundred years and die and still be an infant. So let me finish this phrase. What we are taught from the Bible does not equal spiritual growth, but what we use from the Bible does. That's the difference, right? Hebrews chapter 5. Turn your Bibles there. We may not finish this lesson, and that's fine. That's what a good Bible study is all about. It's about wringing the pages of the Word of God and letting it soak in. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Hebrews chapter 5. So it's not what we're taught from the Bible that equals spiritual growth, but what we use from the Bible. James says it this way. If we're hearers only, we deceive ourselves. Okay? So let's not be hearers only, but doers of the word. Hebrews chapter 5. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And to become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So he's talking about spiritual growth. We'll see that in a minute. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a what? A babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. Even those, watch, who by reason of what? Use. Who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and and evil. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. That's maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So he's saying there's a lot of people, if you understand that last part of that verse, <clears throat> who think that, okay, I get to a point and then I'm not doing well, so I think I need to get saved again. Not renewing again the repentance from dead works. That's what he's saying. What he's saying is you don't need to get saved again. You need to grow. You need to start taking the word of God, watch, and discerning between good and evil. That's what it says. Who by reason of use to discern both good and evil. Um, And by the way, that's not discerning. Isn't it easy for us to discern the good and evil everywhere else? We can. We can look at our our spouse and go, evil, good. We can do that. It's easy. We can look at our kids. Evil, 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 evil. It's very easy. It's easy, except for one. Anyways, won't talk about that. <clears throat> um, we can discern, we can turn on the TV and listen to the news and go, evil, evil, evil. Ew, ew, ew. It's easy. You know when it's hard? When you look in the mirror. It's hard. It's hard to discern both good and evil in the mirror, but when we do, that's when we're growing. When we can look in the mirror and not have the deceitfulness of sin or deceive our own selves by that which is in our own heart 
And we can use the word of God and say, man, I'm messed up. I'm broken. I have a problem with anger. It comes out so fast and furious and it takes me four days to come down. Really? Let me ask you a question. How long have you been saved? Why would it take you so long to get a hold of your spirit? That's a sign of immaturity. Because maturity sees things that are evil and immediately goes, no, I'm not letting that have me. I'm going to set aside my pride, crucify myself back all over again and let God have control of me. That's maturity. And the faster that happens is the greater the growth. You understand? So the Bible talks about reason of use. Now, with that expectation, then we recognize that spiritual growth is often neglected, isn't it? By believers. It's taken for granted. Well, as long as I sit in church, as long as I paid my tithe, as long as I give tracts, as long as I, you know, help people, as long as I tell people to pray for this, as long as I'm praying for this and telling people that I'm praying for this and doing all these things. And what I've done is I've become a Catholic Christian and I'm still a babe. And I still can't discern fully both good and evil. And God says, now, wait a minute, you're neglecting. And he does this to this church at Corinth, who, by the way, Paul spent an egregious amount of time establishing this church. And he stayed there in Achaia for a very long time, 18 months, and was willing to pour himself. And he talks about being a nurse that cherishes her children and cares for them so much. And they have just basically decided we would rather stay babes. Do you remember growing up and then finally turning about 16, 17, you wanted so badly to be treated like an adult? Remember that? Even though you had a hard time acting like one, I should say that I should have put this in first person. My dad would say, my dad would say, if you want me to treat you like an adult, then you need to act like one. You need to be a responsible like one. And such was the case at the church at Corinth. Paul was very quick in this letter to point out that though he wanted to treat them like adults, that he couldn't. And in rebuking these believers, we find three indications of spiritual infancy. And I want to share those with you this morning as much as I can. First of all, the spiritual infant is concerned with self rather than service. In verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Now, I want you to follow this. We're talking about infants. We're talking about babes. The moment a new baby is born, it's a time of great rejoicing, isn't it? It's wonderful. When a baby is born, it is amazing. And I, I get so excited, not only when my kids were born, but when other people have babies. And I see new babies, I just think, oh my goodness, there's another life. There's another soul to be saved. There's another someone that can impact this world for good. I get very excited about that. I get excited about kids who... who have not been yet exposed to all the evil and all that blank slate. I, I love that. And, and, and it's an excited time. The moment a new believer is born again is the same because they're delivered from death to life. They're delivered from hell, uh, from hell to heaven and all attention is on them. Jesus said that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than 90 and nine just persons which need no repentance, which means that getting saved is a big deal. If all of heaven rejoices and stops and the bells of glory ring because someone has repented and trusted Christ, that is an enormous deal. It's a huge, it's the biggest deal. What rings heaven? Nothing like when somebody gets saved. That is a big deal. Now, just like when a newborn baby is born, it gets all the attention all of the time, right? 
by virtue of it needs us all the time. Right, Vicki? You have your babies and they need you from the moment they come into the world. There's, there's a lot of time spent in the first even few months, six months, because they can't do anything on their own. They need you every waking hour. Babies get cared for constantly and pretty soon that pampered baby knows it. Very quickly. It doesn't take long, does it? It doesn't take long at all. Anybody that's been a mom that's cared for a baby and has watched over them minute by minute, second by second, through the night and all of that knows that it doesn't take very long and pretty soon that baby becomes very expectant of all that, doesn't it? Very quickly. They become accustomed to the attention. So much so that it don't want to be left alone. And then the parents are stuck pacing the bedroom floor, holding the child, wondering why they won't go to sleep. You know, they go to sleep on you. I used to do this with Ashley. I can remember this. We lived in this little 700 square foot apartment duplex in North Carolina. <clears throat> and I would sit there and I would just go back and forth and back and forth. I would do this. And I remember my back going, whoa, whoa, whoa. It was just so hurting because she didn't want to be vertical. So I would do this and I would stand there like, I would go back and forth. My wife would be like, honey, just put him down. She won't go to sleep. I sit there or I'd sit there like this and I would just pat, pat her bottom, pat her bottom. Then she'd go out. She'd be on me. I look down, she'd be like, I'd be like, okay. I go like this. I take her right over the edge. And I put her down, like on her wedge and her sideways, and she'd be out. I'm not joking. And in this old wood floor, I would turn. And like the next step, she would go just like that and be like, ah. Pick her back up. Going like this all over. I'd do the same thing. And then I'd be like, okay, I can't step there. So I'm going to step around that place and get over. I'm going to make it. I'm look back. I'm going to make it right in front of the door. I didn't know it was there. Back. It's not all over again. It was awful. I'd be like, babe, I can't do it anymore. Then finally, by the second child, we were like, look, you just got to let that child cry. You've got to let them know who's boss. And so <laughs> Preston was born. We'd go in there and he'd be like screaming, Whoa! We lay him down. We go all the way to the other end of the house, and then we'd stamp. We like we're hiding from him. We'd hide behind the door like this. Wah! My wife would be like, "What are you doing?" I know I'm gonna have to go in there, but Wah! and Preston, dude had a will like steel, man. I mean, he'd be like, "I'm gonna, I can cry all night. How long can you keep this up? I could keep it up all night long." At six months old, he'd take his legs, Wah! boom, and he'd bow his back and bang the mattress, and I'd be like. Oh, I'm having none of that. You want to see what a will looks like? I'm coming in. You know, when I brought in the patents and boom. No, I'm kidding. And uh, anyway, it's just awful, isn't it? They become so accustomed to attention. They want it all the time. The constant attention and constant pleasing of their way can lead to some fairly questionable behavior. The littlest thing when they don't get their way triggers that behavior. They like routines, and when that routine is interrupted, you'll know about it. They are continually taking, are they not? Now let's transition back into the spiritual growth of newborn Christians. And it's much of the same way. Letter A, an infant is upset over the smallest things. A spiritual infant gets upset at anything. It doesn't take much, and they're just over the top. She said what? He said what? They did what? And it might as well be a lava bath. Some Christians have to be handled with kid gloves. 
You ever met somebody like that? You have to be super careful about their emotions and super careful about what they, you say around them because you don't want them saying, I'm offended, I'm mad, and then walk out. You have to be handled with kid gloves. They're like bombs, always ready to explode. Other people are extra nice at church, but you can get them home, they're like TNT. At church, she's ideal, but at home, she's impossible. At church, he's always praising, but at home, he's always pouting and critical. You get the idea. The spiritual infant is upset over the smallest things, just a trigger. Secondly, the infant is a receiver, not a giver. The spiritual infant is a receiver. They're always taking. Some Christians, uh, the spiritual infant examines everything as a receiver through themselves. What's in it for me? What's in it for my family? What do we get out of this? It's likely they find a pacifier for a little while and then lose it. Your kids ever had a pacifier? My, my kids had pacifiers. Except for Ashley. She was the only one. She didn't want a pacifier. She wanted her thumb. That cost me about $8,000 for braces. But anyway, um, Austin had, was a passy kid. And that kid, he, like my, my granddaughter, Georgia, just loves their passy. And I would tell him, I was like, okay. Finally, we got to the age, like, okay, dude, I'm sorry. You can't have this anymore. We're going to have to take it away. And he was like, like, it's okay. Well, first we started, you know, okay, you can only have it when you take a nap. And then it was, you can only have it at night. So don't ask for it during the day. You can only have it at night. And then finally came the day we're like, okay, you know, you're two years old, no more passing. And it took it away. So a couple of weeks went by and I, I came in one day and he's sitting on it. We're like, where's Austin? So, and you always knew where Austin was. So we're like, where's Austin? I don't know. So we start checking the house. We go in, he's sitting on his bed. And I said, what are you doing? He turned around and he had a pass in his mouth. And I was like, what are you doing? And he said, he sat there, he's sucking on his passy. I said, where'd you get that? He took it out and he said, it was under my bed. <laughs> you know, you can never find him, right? You lose one pass all over the place. He just was playing, looked under there. It's like, nobody sees that. I'm going to take that passy. And, 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 and the same thing is true with a spiritual infant. If they lose their pacifier... They get upset. They want that comfort all the time. It's not about giving. It's about receiving. Um, infants don't care who hears their crying or how miserable they make the parents when they aren't happy because they are only concerned about themselves. So they're not, you know, when, when, when babies cry, they're not like, I wonder if this is too loud for the neighbors to hear. I wonder if this is bothering my parents while I'm in the store and they're really uncomfortable and I want to be fed now. What? They're not like, well, is that too loud, mom? Would you like me to turn it down a little bit? You know, but they don't, they don't care. Why? Because they're receivers. And that's what a spiritual infant is. They really don't genuinely care about other people. They only care about themselves and they don't care about how big a mess they make. They don't care about how loud they are. They just want what they want. They don't care about the fallout, right? So the spiritual infant's concerned with self rather than service. Secondly, the spiritual infant is concerned with argument rather than action. They, they really are, they do well at justifying themselves and trying to tell you why it's okay for them to be that way. Now, I want you to notice here in the next couple of verses, I want you to notice how plainly the text lays out the main characteristics of spiritual immaturity and the level of it. Look at Look at uh, their, their, their maturity level. Look at verse 2. Because he talks about babes unto Christ. All right, so now we know. I fed you with milk and not with meat, and hitherto were you not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. So we know that a spiritual infant is more about the flesh than the spirit. Now notice what it says. 
For whereas there is among you, here it is, envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, if you have a place in your notes to write those three words down, envying, strife, and divisions, I want to give you kind of a definition for them, okay? Envying, strife, and divisions. Okay? So the word envying. Now, look, Paul's talking to Christians, okay? Moreover, he's talking to Christians that make up a church. So you need to keep that context. He's talking to grown adults who've been saved, who are in the same church listening to the same preaching, okay? And this is what these three words mean. Envying means jealous anger of what others may experience or have. Jealous anger of what others may experience or have. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Jealous anger of what someone else may experience what others may experience or have um the word strife there it says it says the first word he uses is envying then strife strife means rivalry it means contention it means bitter dissension that leads to conflict all right now remember an infant is quick to be angry and stays angry doesn't care all right so this is this is this is graduating now and Paul's like, look, if you want to know what a spiritual baby looks like, that's what a baby looks like. Pa! Quick off the, uh, just short fuse. Bang, you're already in explosive mode, right? <clears throat> and the jealous anger that stokes it. Someone else has this. And by the way, jealous, the, the, je- the envying here doesn't mean, well, because Lou has that, she doesn't deserve it and I should have it. No, no, no. Envying here doesn't mean that I think that she shouldn't have it. It just means that I should have it also, and I'm mad that she has it and I don't, okay? Or that she's experienced something that I'm not experiencing, or she's got attention that I'm not getting, or she gets to do something that I don't do, okay? That's the envying here, all right? The strife is the outward contention from it. Look at the word divisions. Division here is kin to what we would know as a clique. You know what a clique is? It's separation that leads to discord because of division. It's saying, well, this is, this is who we are, and we don't want anybody else in our group. It's me and Dave and Vicky and Braden, and this is just our group. And you know what? You guys, whatever, this is what we're doing. Okay? This click that leads to division. So it's starting to, they're starting to divide themselves in the congregation based on whatever. And it doesn't even matter. All right? Now, it's interesting to me... <clears throat> That Paul says, look, in verse, in verse 1, I want to talk to you as in a spiritual, but I can't because you're babes and you're carnal. He says that in verse 1. Verse 3, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? The phrase there was as according to man. So you're acting like someone who is unsaved. Because mankind, survival of the fittest, Right? It's, it's the evolutionist, the people who say, you know what, if this is what I want to do, I don't, I don't care. I'm an animal, you're an animal, I'm just a better animal than you are. And so they're walking as men, not as children of God, right? Now let me make a couple of comments about this, this stage of infancy and, and spiritual maturity. Letter A, perhaps the most underestimated sin in our life is strife. The most underestimated sin in our life is strife. Now remember what strife is, it's contention. 
it's bitter dissension that leads to conflict. It starts here and it brings me to conflict. By the way, God's word has a lot to say about it. In Galatians chapter 5, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath. Oh, look, strife, seditions, heresies. Notice the next word, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. And it goes on to say, look, people who do this normally are people who are not going to heaven. They're unsaved. Um, now, now, just think about this. <clears throat> strife, the fighting. Have you ever watched children fight? You ever seen children fight? Little kids. If you've ever been on the playground here, if you've ever been <laughs> children's church or nursery or VBS, you, you see children fight. And, and we look at their arguments. We look at the fight itself and the pettiness of a child's fight. And we dismiss it as immaturity, don't we? We go, oh, look, you're just being so, ch- they're being so childish. Why don't they just share? Why doesn't he just, you know, why does he have to, t- look, I'll give you one of these. It's not about what he has and what you don't. You know what I mean? We look at them and we dismiss the fight as childish when they're children. But these are grown adults and they're not willing to dismiss it at all. So much so that the apostle Paul, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, has to look them square in the face and say, you're acting like babies. You're just a big, fat, spiritual baby. You've been given way too much attention, and now you're demanding. Did you know the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. That's the problem. You see, a spiritual infant is someone who's got a pride problem. And we see that even in this text. Letter B, it's much easier to strive against someone than to strive with someone, isn't it? It's much easier to strive against someone than to strive with someone. I'm actually going to, the message this morning in the main service is going to dovetail with this thought. Philippians 1 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. God, God tells us if you're going to strive, strive together for the gospel of Christ. It's like God puts the bigger picture right out there for us all to see. And in light, by the way, so this is what he's saying, in light of people dying and going to hell, and marriages being ripped apart, and children being lured by Satan. Your strife looks like little children fighting over something that doesn't even matter. The Bible says, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and instead they're striving against one another, and that's why it looks like you look like you're babies, because you're not seeing the big picture. Right? Kids don't see the big picture. They just see what they can or can't do right now. They don't know why they can't go play in the street. They don't know why they can't drive at a younger age. They don't know why they can't eat or drink that. They don't know why. They don't know why. They don't know why. They don't see the big picture. And at a young age, they don't need to see the big picture. They just need to obey. But at some point, as as a spiritual adult, as I grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I have to be able to back up because God's showing me the bigger picture. People are dying, going to hell, and you all are fighting with each other. You have a problem with your temper. You have a problem with bitterness. You have a problem with envy. You're just so quick to be in contention. You guys are in cliques. There's a bigger picture. 
instead of uniting because of some personality, you should be uniting because of me and going out those doors and telling people about Christ. He wrote to the, the church at Thessalonica, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly and charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. They accomplished so much more in Thessalonica than they did in Corinth. Why? Because they were together. Because they were growing together. And Paul commended them for it. Number one, the spiritual infant is concerned with self rather than service, an argument rather than action. Number three, the spiritual infant looks to people rather than to the master. The spiritual infant looks to people rather than the master. Look at verse four. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believe. Even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. I recently received a letter from a lady uh, who used to go to this church 20 years ago when the formal pastor fell into immorality. She said that because of his mistake that she, quote, questioned everything that she believed about God, Christianity, the church, and her purpose for coming back. Because of one person. Sadly, this is common, very common among Christians. They put more emphasis on people rather than on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his commission. Listen to Paul's words. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he writes to this. Go back a couple of pages. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. This is what he's writing to this church. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. So Chloe is this Christian who's wrote a letter and said, hey, look, I just want you to know this church has got issues. And it's because we have a faction over here. By the way, that word division means faction. We have a faction over here of people of, of you, because you led them to Christ. There's a faction over here of believers who were led to Christ by Apollos. There's a faction over here that have come to the church because Peter led them to Christ. And then there's another faction that go, well, we don't claim anybody but Christ. And they're all divided. Chloe is the one that tells them that. Now, Paul says, I just want you to know I know what's going on. I'm going to come fix this. Chapter 4 and verse 6. Go to 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. <coughs> And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. So they're pitting themselves against each other. They're being puffed up. Why? Because they've made man to be more than man is. All right? Now watch. Letter A, immature Christians depend on the flesh. Are you not carnal? The infant's world for, for months is their mother. That's their world. Their whole world is their mother. Then slowly, Lord willing, it extends to the father. It doesn't matter who's holding them, or who's trying to feed them, who's trying to change their dirty diaper, who's trying to care for them. If mama's not there, if mama's not doing it, it ain't getting done. Why? Because that's their world. 
They have spent so much time with that individual. That individual, in many ways, has become all they know. And by the way, all that they want. That's their world. Um, if mama's not around, if mama's not the one holding them, if mama's not the one sitting in the nursery, hello, and giving me attention, guess what you're going to see? My flesh. I'm depending on my flesh to get me what I want, which is what? More flesh. I want the figure in my life. Okay? These Christians decided to make more out of people on this earth and all of their identity and security was attached to a person. Okay? Um, they emphasized the need for this physical. Well, I'm a Paul. So in order to grow, I need Paul. I'm of Apollos and I need Apollos. All right? Uh, well, I'm of Peter. The spiritual infant looks to human resources rather than spiritual resources. Why? Because it's easier. It's easier. People have come to me all kind of questions, especially ones about salvation. I've had staff members tell me, Pastor, I need you to tell me that I'm saved. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Well, I, why? Because I'm not the one that saved you. I can't do that. If I tell you you're saved, then when I'm not around, you're not going to think you're saved. If I'm not constantly affirming your salvation, then you're going to have doubts. If I'm not there to hold you, change your diaper, feed you, you're going to think, well, I don't even think God loves me. A pastor doesn't love me, right? That's their, that's their identity. That's all of their security because it's easier. So then when things go wrong, they can blame someone. That way they don't have to take the blame themselves and they don't have to look to God. It's way easier. Man, this church had issues. And Paul said right up front, it's because you're all babies. You need someone physically. And I'm telling you, he said, we didn't come to preach anybody but Christ Jesus and him crucified. What is a pastor supposed to do? I'm supposed to point you to the cross. I'm supposed to point you to the path that God leads you. Yes, I'm supposed to lead you in that path. But long after I'm dead and gone, people should still be following Christ. Amen. Long after that. Okay? Immature Christians depend on the flesh. I need someone there. Secondly, the flesh will always disappoint. <clears throat> always. Because the carnal man is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Listen, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It doesn't matter what flesh. Yours, mine, it makes no difference. Listen to this statement. If you can't please God in the flesh, then you won't be able to please yourself either. We know that, don't we? If you can't please God in the flesh, why are you trying to please yourself in the flesh? Doesn't matter how angry you get, you're not going to be pleased. Doesn't matter how sad you get, you're not going to be pleased. What's the only way that I can be satisfied to please God? Because I've been born into his family. Letter C Jesus is the only one who never disappoints. So let me give you what a spiritual infant needs real quick, and then we're done. Number one, do you have it in your notes? Number one, you need to look to Jesus. Don't look to man. I have talked to so many stinking people in 20 years who have had bad things happen in churches, and they just quit. They quit on God. They quit on church. They quit on Christianity, period. Oh, they're saved, but they are miserable. And they still won't look to Jesus. It's amazing to me. Um, they need to look to Jesus. Secondly, they need to begin building. Second Peter chapter 1 says, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And it gives you a list. And it says, look, here's the result of growing and adding to your faith. 
Make sure you're in the rhythm of the Christian life. Be in church. Be in your Bible. Be on your knees before God. Get around believers who are hearing the same things that you are, who are striving together to see someone saved, who are living like a Christian in this world. Be around Christians who are not afraid to live differently, who are not, away, who are not afraid to say no to the world and the ways of the world. Be around those kind of people. Why? Because you want to be that kind of person. God says, look, don't love the world, don't act like the world, don't look like the world, don't talk like the world, don't go the way of the world, go the way of my wisdom. I'm standing in the concourse where people go by and I'm saying, wait a minute, when are you going to listen to me? You all are listening to everybody else. Thirdly, remember the judgment seat of Christ. What does the spiritual infant need to be? Reminded that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive of the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. So let me just ask you a question. Isn't it time to grow up? <laughs> when I was little, I would go out into the garage in my front yard and I'd work with my dad and whatever he was doing, I wanted to do with it. Was, I was obsessed. I was obsessed with his drill. I wanted to drill, just poke holes in wood. He'd, you know, he'd cut something or whatever and he'd have some leftover wood and I'd be like, Dad, can I play with the drill? Okay, so he'd put it on a vice or whatever, and then it just, it's drilling hole. If he was cutting something, I wanted to cut it. Hack saw, regular saw, doesn't matter, he wouldn't let me play with the chainsaw. <laughs> whatever saw, I just wanted to cut. A lot of things I wanted to do to be like my dad, I also wanted to drink coffee. And so, when I was little, my dad would say, okay, you can go get a cup of coffee. Well, what did I do? He drank it black, so I was going to drink it black. So I'd put the coffee in there and be like, this is horrible. So we say, well, you could put some milk in it. So I said, okay, I'd throw the black coffee out and I'd fill the cup up with milk. <laughs> and I'd put a little bit of coffee in it. And my dad would call it coffee milk. So it tasted more like milk than a little coffee. So I'd drink it. And, and I'd go out. I'd walk around while he's taking a coffee break. I'd take my coffee break. I'd stand by. If he's leaning up against the thing, I'd be like. <laughs> He'd blow on it. I, would, I literally, I would go, it's, it's got milk. It's already cold. I'd be like, he'd light a cigarette. I'd no. <laughs> and then one day he said, you know what's going to happen if you keep drinking coffee? I said, no. He said, it's going to stunt your growth. I don't want to be short the rest of my life. So it's going to stunt your growth. Now it'll put hair on your chest, but it'll stunt your growth. And I'm sitting there going, it's going to put hair on my chest. It's going to stunt my growth. And I was like, I don't care how hairy I am. I'm not going to be a hairy midget. So I, I want... <laughs> I want, I want to grow. Now watch. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is coffee doesn't actually do that. I'm 6'2". But fleshly habits and carnal people can. Fleshly habits and carnal people do stunt our growth. So let's determine to grow up this week and seek those things that matter for eternity. And make sure that we stay pulled up and say, man, no matter what may go on, People are dying without Christ. Look, look at all those people in Kentucky who died because of the flood. wonder how many of them were saved. They'll never see eternity. Oh, they're ne- they'll never see the gospel of Christ and they're in darkness forever. Why? Because of a flood that came. I, I think it's going to be really shameful for a lot of us when we get to heaven to see the people who died that we could have touched and we didn't. The Bible says their blood's going to be right here on my hands. Look, we need to grow up. 
so we can go out, so we can win some more people to come into the kingdom of God. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. I thank you for the truth. God, it hurts so bad. We are so carnal. Lord, it's just the truth. We are so carnal. We need so badly to grow up. We need to grow more. We need to grow deeper and stronger and wider in our love for you and in our surrender. Please help this series to be a blessing and a help to all of us. May we get some tremendous traction in our spiritual, personal lives that we would have answers to prayer, that we would see the mighty hand of God on us and on our homes. And Lord, of course, that's going to translate into this church. Grow us, stretch us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.